<laughs> it's good to hear you talking to one another. <laughs> Seriously, that's awesome. Well, it seems weird that uh, Christmas is less than a week away, the next Saturday is Christmas. And so uh, it hit us months ago that therefore the next Sunday will be the day after Christmas. And it's like, are you going to come to church the day after Christmas? I hope so. Yeah, you know, it's that whole idea that we're going to remember, we're going to prepare for Jesus, and then he's going to come, and then we're going to go, okay, well, now we're going to take the day off. <laughs> now, I'm reading your mind, I know. So, uh, what I want you to know is that realizing that that is a unique day, the day right after Christmas, we're actually going to have a really unique service next week, and I hope you'll plan uh, to join us. We're going to uh, have a unique full-body opportunity to celebrate the goodness and the greatness of our God as we give him praise. So it won't be a normal week, it won't be a normal Sunday, but it'll be a great time to be here. So I I hope that you'll join us next Sunday for our services. Take your Bibles, if you would, and actually turn to Acts chapter 2, not Ephesians. Here's why. We've been talking about a spirit-filled life for Uh, quite a number of weeks now. And and if you've caught anything about a spirit-filled life, I I hope you've understood the spirit-filled life is different than the promise that God made that when we trusted in him, when we admitted our sin, believed in Jesus, and received the free gift of God, he would not only forgive our sins, but he would pour his spirit into our hearts. This is The promise of God that he by his spirit would live in us. But that's not a spirit-filled life. That's a spirit-indwelt life. A spirit-filled life is a command that we are given from the scriptures that we should live in such a way that we would live under the word of God to the degree that his life would not just be in us, it would flow through us. So that all who experience us would actually experience whom? God, because he is not only dwelling in us, his life, his character, his truth flowing through us. So we want to apply that this morning to the whole idea of spirit-filled giving. Now you may think, really? Well, why would we apply it to giving? Well, I hope you understand because giving is synonymous with Christmas. Uh, Does everybody celebrate Christmas? No, not everybody does. But if you celebrate Christmas, you engage in giving in some kind. Different families do it differently. When Jackie and I got married, we found out that her family did giving at Christmas a lot different than our family, and the two worlds collided. And we had to create our, okay, how are we going to do this? But if you celebrate Christmas, you celebrate giving because giving is synonymous with Christmas. I think we all get that. God gave his son. Uh, The wise men came and honored the newborn king. So giving goes with Christmas. What I'm not so sure is that we understand this, that giving is actually synonymous not only with Christmas, giving is synonymous with a spirit-filled life. In other words, you cannot have a spirit-filled believer who doesn't give. And yet, those who give are often not doing so as spirit-filled. Now you may think, wow, are we like behind in budget? Is that why you're doing a Christmas serving and giving? <laughs> Thankfully, not even close are we behind. Thank you for your generosity. So this is not a plea for money. This is 
a, a desire to understand actually what does the scripture say spirit-filled giving looks like. And we get our first indication in Acts chapter 2. Because in Acts chapter 2 is when the spirit is given. Jesus has died, buried, raised from the dead, ascended to the Father, and said, I'm going to go so that if I go, I'll send another, the spirit who will not just be with you as I was with you, he will be in you. And that's going to be better. But you got to go to Jerusalem, he said to the disciples, and wait. And they waited. And on the day of Pentecost, that morning, the Holy Spirit came and indwelt them. And it radically changed them. Filled with the Spirit, Peter, who had not long before chickened out and denied Jesus, now boldly stands up in Jerusalem and preaches a sermon about Jesus. And it is so powerful, it is so Spirit-filled that people, when he's finished, cry out, what do we have to do to be saved? They are utterly convinced by the Spirit of God through him. And his response to what do we have to do to be saved is this. Repent. Change your mind that you can be saved by what you do and who you are. And believe in Jesus. Repent. And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Identify yourself with him for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what's the response? It says in verse 41, so then, who, so then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. 3,000 people went from without the life of God in them to the life of God within them because they had admitted, I deserve the wrath of God, and there's nothing that I can do to save myself. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. And they believed in him and received forgiveness of sin and received the Holy Spirit. And now watch what happens. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Now, I'm showing us this because this is the first act of giving in this new organism called the church. The church is born, the spirit is given, and what immediately happens? Giving, sharing. Because giving is synonymous with a spirit-filled life. But what's so powerful about what we see happen here that's different than what we would have seen for hundreds and hundreds of years among the Jewish people is this. That the spirit-filled Christian is no longer tied to a required percentage applied to all people. Did you notice that the giving was not a case where they said, all right, now we're all together in the church and we have some people who need to everybody give your what your 10% and we can make this go away that's not what happened people voluntarily gave 
So, uh, just to get a sense of who we are, if you were a person who grew up in church or grew up in a family or in some setting that taught you tithing, if you don't know that word, that means giving 10% of your income, let me, let me see your hand. Okay, no, 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 keep them up, keep them up, look around. Some people refuse to ever raise their hand in church, so there's probably more than this in here. But, but do you see what we just said? The vast majority of us grew up being taught to practice something different than what the New Testament church practiced. I was taught to tithe. From the day my parents said, we're going to give you a dollar a week allowance, they gave it to me in change. Why? Because they, they wanted to hear that dime hit the plate every Sunday. Seriously. They taught me to tithe. And I don't begrudge them of that at all. That was good training to give, except it didn't reflect actually New Testament giving. Do you know tithing is 100% an Old Testament practice? And that there is not a single reference in a letter to a church in the New Testament that says tithe. Give a required percentage and it's applied to all. Now, for some of you, you've been around the chapel and you've heard this before. Others, you may be going, hey, whoa, you're messing with sacred stuff right now. I've believed this my entire life. Seriously? Yeah, it was a little hard for me to believe too. Well, I had grown up with it and then I had to teach giving and I was like, where is this? I couldn't find it. So you may go, well, there's, you can't do an argument of silence because they didn't say it doesn't mean we don't do it. It's not an argument of silence. It's not that the New Testament's silent about giving. It's that the New Testament letters are silent about tithing. Given an exact percentage applied to all. So what, what does it say if it speaks about giving? 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We'll come back to Acts in a moment. 1 Corinthians 16. Acts chapter 2 was a description of what happened. Acts, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 16 is instruction about giving. Now concerning the collection for the saints... As I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. In other words, I want you to do what I told them to do. <laughs> on the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save. Now, this isn't a saving passage. Would it, why? Put it aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. He's teaching us two things here. If you only give from the leftovers, what's going to happen? you're not going to give. And every one of us knows that. I, I can speak from personal experience, and I'm sure it's yours. If you put off getting, giving, you all often won't give. Oh, yeah, I think, and then you don't give. So he says, if your practice is to give from the leftover, your human heart and my human heart is the capacity that there won't be any leftover. So he says, prepare in advance to give. Not 10%, but what? As God has prospered you. 
God has prospered us differently. And here's the unbelievable gift of grace. He says, give as I've prospered you. Yeah, but how much as I've prospered you? I think part of the reason we like the whole idea of tithing, it, it just puts me in the, okay, here's what I'm supposed to do. It's my God tax. We, uh, we kind of like what the IRS does. If I make this much, I owe this much tax. If I make this much, I owe this much tax. No, we don't like that as it gets bigger, <laughs> but it's defined. But what the scripture says is this. As God has prospered you, gift. Not out of the leftover. Set it aside so you don't put it off and don't ever get to it. So the scripture doesn't give a defined percentage. It says, here's the principle. Give as God has prospered you. That's 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. He writes him again, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Again, about collecting for the saints, he says. Now this I say. Who, who, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So we give as God has prospered us, and we give as God works, and we listen to him, and we purpose in our heart. So it's not a math equation. For most, giving becomes a math equation. Let me figure out my percentage. And actually, it's not a math equation. It's a prayerful interaction with listening to the Lord and then follow through with Cheerfulness. See, the beauty, lots of people tithe, but don't do so cheerfully. Do you know why? Because it was assigned to them, give 10%. What this says is, hey, you get to purpose in your own heart before the Lord what you want to give so you can give cheerfully because it wouldn't make any sense for you to, to give and then go, God, it was your decision, come on. So, Give and give cheerfully as you purpose in your heart and as God prospers you. So you ask the Lord, Lord, with everything you've given me, how might I give? Will he lead you in that? He will. If you ask him, don't be afraid to ask him. <laughs> if you ask him, he'll lead you. The purpose in your heart as he has prospered. So, the whole spirit of the New Testament letters of giving, not a defined percentage, but a response to God's grace in our lives. A response to how God has blessed us. And then... <clears throat> Go to Acts chapter 4. We get another description of how giving was happening in the local church. Acts chapter 4. 
This time, the context is this. A couple of apostles had been arrested for preaching, thrown them in jail, and then released them. But before they released them, they said, you must stop preaching. And then released them. They went back to the church and they said, here's what they said. And they prayed. And here's what they prayed. Lord, take note of their threats and make us bold. See, I love it. That, that's spirit filled. Stop preaching. And they said, no. <clears throat> take note of their threats, Lord, and make us bold. And because of that prayer, look, oh, sorry, look what happens. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. But all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. So actually, there was lots of needy people among them, except they didn't remain needy. Why? Because the abundance of others filled the gap of the lack of others. Because what did they think? They thought, we're one. We're one. That's what it said, right? We're one. A spirit-filled Christian gets rid of this, hey, I just have a defined percentage. It's applied to all. A spirit-filled Christian gives from a new mindset. We're one. This is, this is what? This is family. We belong to a spiritual family. And therefore, my money and my possessions are no longer only for me. Uh, That's straight out of the text. What was theirs was no longer only for them. It was an action based on a mindset of oneness. And so, giving sets aside an old mindset and embraces a new mindset of oneness. So the Lord gave me an example this week that I wasn't expecting of how it would radically change me as I thought more and more about oneness. Monday, a few of us uh, got together and we went down to the Belgium Sweet House where my wife is serving tables. And I'd never had my wife as a waitress before. And it, and, it, and it came to time to pay the bill and to give her a tip. (laughs) 
Then you may go, oh, I feel your dilemma. No, it was, it was no dilemma what was, what, whatsoever. This was like the best opportunity ever. Without hesitation, I took all the cash I had in my wallet and I put it in there. And it wasn't like, oh, what's 20%? It was like, man, I wish I had more cash. This is like 200%, but this would be awesome. I wish I'd have bought some $500 bills with me. Why? Yeah, because it's we're one. There's no freedom. Here, babe, I should have emptied the bank account. Big tip, way to go. <laughs> there you go, that's not giving. Oh, it is. It's giving in a spirit of yeah, cheerfulness <laughs> and wisdom. Don't be stupid. <laughs> but ultimately, oneness. And I didn't see that coming. Honestly, I didn't see until afterwards. See, that is... If I really thought we're one, that would radically change how I opened my wallet and how I handed my finances. Because I believe that about us. Do we believe that about us? Man, that, that was a powerful example for me. And it reminded me why we do this radiosity. If that's Strange to you, it's a word. It's not a word. We made it up. <laughs> and it was simply this reality. Lots of people want to be generous to people in time of need, but we're often not ready to do it. Why? Because we, we swallowed up all of our resources. And so we started Radiosity, an opportunity where we could give to a fund that regardless of what happened in 2022, looking ahead, we could be ready as a church to meet the needs that God would raise up in this community. Because who knows what 2022 will hold? If the last 18 months have told us anything, we don't know what 2022 will hold. But we want to be ready to be generous. And so when you came in, we simply gave you a, a readyosity. It's an envelope that we're going to invite you to prayerfully, not a, hey, everybody give 5% and we'll knock it out. No. You purpose in your heart as God has blessed you, and we want to invite you to put it in this envelope, and if you come back for Christmas Eve, we'll have a tree out in the courtyard. Just put it in our radiosity tree. And I have zero hesitation. Uh, you may go, is this a little awkward for you to ask for money? No, oh, not at all, because it's not for me. It's for us. Because we have no idea what the Lord will bring about in this community and the community has placed us. But nothing says Jesus like meeting needs. Right? And so to be, to be ready to be generous. Because we are a spiritual family because we belong to God. We have a common father. Your father is my father. And because we belong to him, my money and my possessions are actually no longer mine. Oh, they're mine to do what? Manage according to his, the owner's, convictions and beliefs. It is. The great privilege that you and I have is to be a manager of God's resources. 
And he doesn't say, hey, everybody stroke a check for this amount, this percentage. He goes, I'm going to bless you differently and I'm going to lead you differently. Just prayerfully pursue me and I will guide you with how I want you to utilize my resources. And one of the truths of the owner that we know we know, but I'm not sure we are fully convinced of is this. I know you know that. You know the Bible says that probably. But do we really believe it's more blessed? Well, I think we go, yeah, it's a blessing to give. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. That's what the owner says about sharing. Now, so let me ask you a question. How many of you like to receive? <laughs> this proves my point. Okay, look, look around. No presents for anybody who didn't raise their hand, right? Because they don't like it. They're not going to like it. They're going to hate it. They don't want it. Oh, come on. All of us are hey, is it? Yeah, okay, yeah. I like, to, I like to receive, and I've been a recipient of some really, really gracious gifts. It's good to receive. It's not like, oh, I'm a sinner. I like to receive. No, that's, that's good. It's just something is actually even better, according to the owner. Giving. It is more blessed to give than to receive. See, I need my heart refined by that. Maybe you don't. I do. I see... I see the Christmas gifts piling up, and I find myself going, hey, babe, what, what was that? And she tells me, Ugh. and I, okay, we're blessed to give. So I, I'm trying to learn how, that's awesome, I'm glad. <laughs> no, I'm trying, you think, I'm joking, I'm not, I'm trying to, yeah, I'm glad. I'm really happy for that. Because the owner says, what we give an opportunity to do so is even a blessing, a greater blessing than what we would get. And it's not just pie in the sky. There's good reason to believe this. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And I'm going to show from the scriptures why God says it's more blessed. It's not bad to receive. It's just more blessed to give than to receive. Second Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to read for us the section, verses 6 through 12, as a whole, and then we'll come back and break it down. Now this I say. He... We've read this. Who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he is purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. In what way? So that always having all sufficiency in everything. You may have an abundance for every good deed. 
As it's written, he scattered abroad. He gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. That's the big text. Here's the core idea. That spirit-filled generosity is not a defined percentage applied to all. It flows out of a mindset with oneness that results in joyful and generous. Joyful, because it's more blessed to give than receive, and generous, as God is prospered, and I purpose in my heart. It's joyful and generous, actually, because of what this text, don't miss this, what the text says about God. I'll come back to this, but here's what I hope you'll capture from this section of Scripture. Giving reveals what you and I believe about God. It really does. It's not the words we say, because we can say lots of stuff. It's our giving that ultimately will put on display. What do we believe about God? Because he promises, he promises to do three actions for those who joyfully and generous. First, he says this, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. Who? You who have been made one, you who are sowing God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything. What he's promising here is this, that you and I can be spirit-filled, joyful, and generous in our sharing because God promises, I'll meet the need of givers. I will supply your need. Why is that so important? Here's why. Some of us have a hard time giving because we're greedy. Now you may go, oh, that's harsh, that's strong. Well, let me say it more nicely then. Some of us have a hard time giving because we like to buy stuff for ourselves. Okay, fair enough? It's like, man, if I give that away, I won't be able to buy that stuff I've wanted. Agreed? Some of us, hard to give because we want stuff. But I think there's a greater competitor called fear. If I give, what if I don't have enough for me? I'm at that age where I'm like, I live to 90. How am I going to live 
for maybe 20 years with no income? And that fear can go, ugh, maybe I want to give less. I think all of us can relate to that. Some of us, sometimes it's a, it's a man, I, I just want my stuff. Other times it's like, oh, no, 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 no. I, I don't, I'm not greedy. I just want to be responsible. And here's the promise of Scripture. And my grace will abound to you so that you'll have all sufficiency in everything. If you think, "Ah, I'm not sure, here it is very directly. Ephesians chapter 4. You're not going to listen. Let me describe first. (laughs) Paul is writing the Philippians about how they gave to him while he was in Thessalonica, another city. Not, he wasn't serving them. He was another, in another city doing in Thessalonica what he had done in Philippi. And they gave to him while he was there. And he is writing them a thank you note. And after telling them, thank you for not only supplying my need, but for the profit that's going to go to your account, he says this. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He's speaking to our fears that if we'll give, we won't have what we need. The competitor for my giving is not my spending. It's my saving. I don't know what yours is, but for me, it's my saving. So that's more rooted in fear Will God keep his promise? See, it's not, oh, I can't live without this stuff. It's like, well, I have enough. And every once in a while, Jackie will hear those things. We say, ah, oh, man, will we have enough? And the word of God reminding to me this morning, my God, this is, this is not a promise to crazy spenders. Don't go, 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 go crazy and buy that thing you've always wanted and go, hey, my God will supply all my needs in Christ Jesus. Not who he's talking to. Who's he talking to? Givers. He's talking to givers. All right, back to our text, 2 Corinthians 9. Here's the second truth about God that impacts our giving. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything and you may have an abundance for every good deed. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. Did you see it three times? What's he say? He says, joyful and generous is the giving of the spirit-filled believer because God promises, 
I'll give seed to sowers. In other words, when God gives us seed and we put it in our pocket, he's going, no, 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 that's not what I had in mind. What I had in mind when I gave you seed is that you would scatter it. That's why it said that in verse 9, that you would scatter. And if you'll scatter, I'll give you more seed because seed is for sowing, not for hoarding. And you may go, that's... Is that a prosperity gospel you're jumping in here to, Doug? Not even close. A prosperity gospel says this, give and God will make you rich and give you everything you want. And the Bible says, give and God will give you more to give so that you can give you more to give. He loves channels. He's not so big on ponds. flow. Because a spirit-filled life, in one word, is flow, overflow. God gives so that it'll flow. And he says, give, and I'll give you more to give. But there's a third truth here that maybe this is, not maybe, this is actually biggest and best. But you might be Tempted to miss it. Oh, but before that, there's Proverbs. <laughs> Whiff. Uh, from Proverbs, there's one who scatters and yet increases all the more. And there's one who withholds what is justly due, and yet it results only in want. Did you catch that right there? Even though Matt was walking across here, did you catch that? <laughs> I just watched him like, you think, I can't scatter because then I won't have enough. But how does God work? Scatters and you'll have more. Oh, I can't scatter. I better save it. And then I'm willing to scat- when I'm unwilling to scatter, then somehow I'm in what? The generous man will be prosperous. He who waters himself will be watered. You see, give, and God gives more to give. Now, there's a third one that's even better that I already set up. (laughs) For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, and what's the ministry? The ministry of sharing, giving, they will glorify God for your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. What's God say giving produces? Not only a need met, but great, great joy. Did you notice on the back of your message memo, there's a bunch of stories? Those are folks whose needs were met through what we currently have in our Radiosity Fund. Just recently, these are some of the needs that have been met. And we put those on there 
for two reasons. Now that you're reading, can you look back up here, please? <laughs> Sorry. We want you to read those knowing later, knowing two things. <laughs> that met real needs. When you put stuff on the tree, it'll meet real needs. And when real needs are met, you know what happens? People go, thank you, God. Thank you, God. All of us think, I certainly do, I hope you do, you know the joy of having a need met and going, wow, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It came from you. Why is that important? This is the crux of giving because joyful and generous in our giving because God promises if I do one thing on this earth, I'm going to make my name great. Numbers 14, 21 says this, as surely as I live, I will fill the earth with my glory. God will make his name great. God will fill the earth with his glory. And you know what makes his name great? Joyful generosity produces greater praise to his name. Let me let you write that down if you're writing it down. And then I want to make sure you're putting this all together. Spirit-filled giving sets aside this idea of tithing. There's, there's no joy in tithing anymore. There's joy in paying tax. Tithing is just a God tax. Let me pay the government what I owe them. Let me pay, pay God what I owe him, and now the rest is mine. Now, giving lays that aside. Spirit-filled giving says, now, I'm one with a family, one with God. My stuff belongs to him. Now, I want to I want to spend and save and share with the owner's priorities in mind. And his actually greatest priority is his name. And so giving becomes the reflection of what you and I really believe about his name. When I give, I'm giving myself opportunity to experience God will meet my needs. I do not need to live and be controlled by fear. And when I give, I'm giving God the opportunity to fulfill his promise, not to make me rich, but to give me more to give. And because giving not only meets needs that praises, that causes people to praise God, he gives more because giving more produces greater praise. You tracking? I want to acknowledge that some of you may have thought at the beginning, really, giving on Christmas, I know it fits, but ultimately it's not about money. What is it about? The Lord. And what do I believe about him? And who is he? And how will that be demonstrated? 
by how I manage his resources. So Matt's going to come and lead us in a song, (laughs) not about giving. (laughs) He didn't, we're not singing, bringing in the sheaves or whatever that is. (laughs) Some of you are like, well, that's a song? Yeah, (laughs) showed my age. Because it's really, what's his giving reveal? Reveals what I believe about God. So we're not going to sing a song about giving. We're going to sing about song, songs, plural, about God. Because if I get my head and my eyes and my heart on the Lord, then he'll deal with my fears. He knows what I need. And I can trust him. And I can look to him to bless in order to be a greater blessing. Because there's something about being God's instrument that is really, really great joy, more blessed to give than to receive. Maybe you haven't reached the point yet where you go, no matter how much I accumulate, it won't fill my heart. No matter what I, where I live, what I drive, what I, it won't make me happy. Your home won't make you happy. Your stuff won't make you happy. Only God will. Because he and only he is meant to reign in the human heart. And when we put other stuff to reign in our human heart, we find it dry and empty and a lie. So it's about the Lord and responding to him. So let's stand and let's worship the God we love. Generous God, giver of life, You know just what we need You've heard our prayer You will provide You know just what we need Cause I know who you are I know who you are Oh, God. And all will see how great, how 
this opportunity to learn more about who you are and your character. We were reminded that when we're generous, it's a reflection of you. And Lord, we can't do that well without your working in us. And we do that so that you will get great glory, that people are appointed to you. There would be joy abounding in the recipient and the giver and in your heart as well, Lord. So we want to be cheerful givers. We want to be generous with our time the resources you've given us, generous with our encouragement to those who need it. We know that you will be honored, you'll be glorified in that. So Lord, we thank you and we love you, realizing and knowing that you've loved us first. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so good to see you guys. Can't wait to see you on Christmas Eve. Don't forget to grab a ticket. See you next time.